0: This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting.
1: Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, healthcare, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu forward.
2: Welcome to the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yowie. On Tuesday, the House Committee on Energy and Manufacturing discussed a bill that would prevent publicly sourced air pollution data from being used in lawsuits and regulatory proceedings. House Bill 5018 was drafted in response to the rise of community air monitoring in West Virginia. This prefers to pollution data collected by members of the public as opposed to governmental agencies like the EPA. The bill moved out of the committee with the recommendation that it do pass. Tomorrow, the committee will hold a public hearing on the bill at 9 a.m. in the House Chamber. The public may begin signing up to speak at 8.30 a.m. in the Chamber. The House of Delegates was a bit busier in committee than on the Chamber floor today, and a resolution regarding a constitutional amendment over a woman's reproductive rights is under consideration. House Joint Resolution 27 calls for a constitutional amendment giving women the reproductive freedom to make medical decisions for themselves, including abortion. Delegate Mike Pushkin, a Democrat from Kanawha County, supports the measure.
3: Well, we'd like to have it on the ballot. We think the voters have a right to, uh, to decide uh, in this, on this issue, much like they have in many
2: other states across the country. Like West Virginia, neighboring Ohio's legislature has passed restrictive abortion laws. But last year, 57% of Ohio voters said yes to constitutional protections of reproductive rights. Here in West Virginia, it would take a two-thirds majority of both the House and Senate to put this on the ballot. Pushkin says voters' rights should take precedence here. You know, I, I realize it's a, it's a heavy lift to try to get the
3: supermajority to, to vote just to put it on the ballot, but I, I'm not really, I'm not sure what they're afraid of. Uh, we, we should always be allowing uh, people to make those choices for
2: themselves. The House Committee on Jails and Prisons advanced a bill that would give non-uniform corrections employees a 3% raise after three or more years of service committee chair delegate david kelly a republican from tyler county says house bill 4734 is a carryover from last year to aid in corrections recruitment and retention
3: well, as you know last year we did a special session and we gave our uniformed officers a sizable amount of uh, of money we we tailored that for the entry-level folks this was uh... an attempt to uh, take care of our non-uniform. It certainly is not as great as I would like it to be, but we felt a 3% uh, would be something we could begin with and maybe both houses can uh, get it get it through and we can get it on the governor's desk. That would be our hope.
2: A bill introduced in the House today, if passed, would determine that a squatter in a residence had no legal connection and cannot be considered a tenant. The sponsor of House Bill 4940, Delegate Kathy Hess-Krauss, a Republican from Putnam County, says it's not always cut and dry when it comes to removing a squatter from a property. If you own it and you're a couple of counties or states away and somebody sits on it for a while, I guess in other states you have some problems.
4: Exactly. And it's when I've seen um, on the news and stuff of people uh, taking over people's houses that maybe they're they're getting ready to sell or they're out of state for a while, maybe it's a second house, whatever the case may be, um, people will come in and they will take over these houses and then the owners come back and find out and they have a heck of a time getting them out if they can even get them out. And then when they do, typically it's destroyed. So
2: this puts teeth into enforcement.
4: I'm hoping so. That's what I'm looking forward to.
2: The Senate passed and sent one bill to the House that would permit wineries to serve wine without serving food and permit wine to be served at festivals. The Senate advanced eight other bills. Two of these bills, if passed without amendments, will head to the governor's desk. The Senate also discussed West Virginia's continued black lung issues. Brianna Heaney has more.
1: Senator Mike Caputo, a Democrat from Marion County, says that nearly 80,000 coal miners have died from black lung since 1968, which comes out to nearly 1,400 people a year. He says there is an uptick in the occurrence and severity of the disease as new mining techniques have been introduced to go deeper into the coal seams.
3: It's not your grandpa's disease anymore.
1: Young miners now are
3: reaching black lung levels like we've never seen. This disease decreases life expectancy by over 12 years when you contract black lung.
1: He says that black lung disease has been in a constant fight for recognition and care in Appalachia and asked the senators to take the time to talk to black lung advocates visiting the Capitol. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston.
2: The Senate Education Committee quickly moved along five bills today, many of which updated existing educational programs. One bill would add another university to the list of eligible institutions for the Promise
0: Scholarship. Chris Schultz has that story. The Promise Scholarship is a merit-based financial aid program for West Virginia high school graduates planning to attend one of the state's public or independent two- or four-year institutions. Senate Bill 529 would add Salem University to the list of eligible institutions where the scholarship may be used. Currently, 17 of the state's four-year institutions are eligible for students to use the scholarship. Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morton County, asked why Salem had not been included over the scholarship's more than 20 years of existence. Kristen Boggs, general counsel for the Higher Education Policy Commission, gave a simple answer.
5: Salem University is a for profit institution, and at the time the Promise Scholarship Statute was passed, the included private institutions were private nonprofits.
0: The only private for profit institutions currently eligible for the scholarship are West Virginia Junior Colleges Bridgeport, Charleston, and Morgantown locations. Senator Mike Oliverio, a Republican from Monongalia County, said he had previously sponsored a similar bill and that all qualifying students should be open to pursue their passions where they please. Uh, This summer,
2: we did a fact-finding visit to Salem, uh, met with uh, administration, faculty, staff, and students. There's some exciting things going on on that campus. Uh, There are a handful of West Virginia students who would meet eligibility requirements to receive the promised Scholarship, and we don't want to stand in their
0: way of allowing them to go to school there. The bill was recommended to the full Senate with a reference to the Senate Finance Committee. Committee Chair Senator Amy Grady, a Republican from Mason County, said with zero fiscal impact, the Finance Committee Chair will be asked to waive the second reference. For the Legislature Today, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown.
2: Senate President Craig Blair and other members of the Upper House held a press conference today to discuss the recent pause on new permits for liquefied natural gas exports. Brianna Heaney has this story as well.
1: Liquefied natural gas is a form of natural gas that has been distilled and frozen to around negative 260 degrees Fahrenheit. Last week, President Joe Biden announced a pause in new liquefied gas permits after concern for its effect on climate change. West Virginia's Senate President, Craig Blair, held the conference on the steps of the Senate shortly after it adjourned today. He and other senators say this pause will be harmful to the state's energy economy.
6: The actions that this president has taken in his administration are not hurting just the industry in West Virginia, but the industry worldwide in our nation. It's got to come to an end. A week or two ago, we passed SCR 16. That resolution that passed both the House and the Senate was calling on the federal government to stop what they're doing here today to the natural gas industry. The permitting process in this country takes way too long. But this is an example where it's not even just about the time it's about the lack of focus in the direction of where this should be going. And this is, direct, this is on the President Biden himself. It's got to stop.
1: Blair says West Virginia is one of 14 states in the Southern Legislative Conference that is pushing back on the pause. The U.S. has in the past few years become the world's leading liquefied natural gas exporter. It's unclear how much of a role liquefied natural gas plays in West Virginia's energy economy. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston.
2: Advocates from across the state gathered at the state capitol on Thursday to bring attention to sexual violence. Emily Rice has the story.
4: Today was Sexual Violence Awareness Day at the Capitol. The Foundation for Rape Information and Services, or FRIS, was in attendance to educate legislators and the public. Nikki Godfrey is the assistant state coordinator with FRIS. She said Friss is focused on two issues this legislative session, updating the offense definition of extortion and exemptions for marital rape. Senate Bill 175 updates offenses of extortion and attempted extortion.
5: Which provides additional protection for if folks, say a student, is um, being told that they can't get their grade unless they do a sexual favor for a professor. Um, So there's just a gap in our code when we're looking at coercion and being able to um, provide that protection for an individual.
4: House Bill 4982 would remove marriage from the definitions listed for crimes of sexual offenses.
5: The other one um, has been uh, the talk of the town the last year, and it's really just um, providing equal protection for individuals who are married in our state. So right now, our definition of sexual contact says um, that it can't be, um, you know, a protection for folks who are who are married. So if someone forces or threatens or um, you know says that there's bodily harm possible, and they engage in sexual contact with someone, it could be charged, but not if the person is married.
4: Godfrey said there was a lot of confusion surrounding marital rape during last year's legislative session.
5: I think last year there was just a lot of misconceptions around it um, and and confusion about what that meant, you know, how that uh, affects people who are married. And, you know, when we look at forcible compulsion, there has to be a threat of bodily injury. So it really rises to the level that, you know, if someone can report that, it could be investigated and charged.
4: Godfrey said after conversations with lawmakers in the upper rotunda, Friss is feeling hopeful.
5: I I really feel like just addressing some of the misconceptions and providing some examples to folks of what that could look like and why it is important to individuals in West Virginia to add that protection. So I feel like that folks are really um, understanding and, and hearing it. On
4: the Senate floor, Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County, spoke in favor of designating February 1st as Sexual Violence Awareness Day. West Virginia ranks fifth in the country for lifetime prevalence of contact sexual violence, 61.7% are females. Out of the 47% of assaults committed by acquaintances in West Virginia, 82% are by someone known by that victim, a direct relationship to that victim. In West Virginia, one in six women and one in 21 men will be victims of attempted or. attempted or completed sexual assault. For the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston.
2: In meeting the plan to have broadband connectivity for all of West Virginia within five years, there are progress and time markers that must be met to get all of the 1.2 billion federal dollars to complete the work. Earlier today, I sat down with Delegate Daniel Linville, a Republican from Cabell County, and broadband consultant Charlie Denny to talk about meeting those markers we are here talking all things broadband in the upper rotunda of our capital as we're in about the twenty-fifth day of this legislative session and with me is uh, charlie denny a broadband consultant and former director of the state office of broadband along with delegate daniel linville out of cabell county who is chair of the technology and infrastructure committee for the house thanks for being here fellas thanks for having us alright so one point two billion dollars this what the federal government gave to West Virginia to give a 5-year plan to get the last mile connected i think it's somewhere around 200, 300,000 households that um, comes in phases, and, and with each phase, Delegate Linville, uh, you're gonna get a, a, mo- a certain amount of money depending on what you did in the last phase. Where do things stand now?
7: So our, our state's plan has been submitted to the federal government for their approval, and we were actually the, I believe, seventh or eighth state uh, that, that got it in, but really, we were in on day two, and so I think we were actually the third, but they're calling us the seventh or eighth because our name starts with a W, and so if they if they go alphabetically, uh, they're saying that we're 7th or 8th. Um, that's going to unlock that 1.2 billion. Um, there's going to be grant applications um, for all areas of the state which we've identified which do not have broadband available right now. Um, so there's a whole process that's been laid out um, for that and sort of what ways that we're going to be able to get it there with what technology and those things. All the scoring guidelines are online and pending the approval of, of, of the federal government uh, we'll begin seeing those dollars uh, begin to be deployed and those, those grant applications be open uh, about mid-year.
2: So it's about a quarter billion dollars in each phase, roughly.
7: Yeah. So it's um, so the entire 1.2 will be available. But interestingly, the way that we're that we're going to be uh, putting that out is actually as um, as we receive invoices. So uh, unlike uh, some of the some of the programs of the past, what we're trying to do here is to say, look, uh, we want to see that you've done it. We want to see the invoices. We want to monitor that construction, and
2: then we'll pay you. Okay. And Charlie, what we need to do here now is lay fiber out the cable. And what we haven't done so far is get it to the roughest. Areas of the state. We're a mountainous state. There's no doubt about that. Um, so challenges are, and we keep, we keep hearing pole attachment. And talk to me about what that is. It's been a challenge, I'm sure, throughout your tenure. And, and do we go above ground or below ground? That's well, a good question. And
3: the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, sometimes you go above ground. Sometimes you, you go below ground. Uh, when you when you look at, at how a utility pole is segmented. Uh, the top portion of the utility pole is what's called the hot zone. And that's where the electricity is, and no one except the power company is allowed in the hot zone. Below that, you have the telecommunication zone. And uh, previously, uh, the uh, incumbent telephone company had the privilege of being the lowest utility on the pole. And then everything above that requires a one-foot separation. So if you have uh, telephone cable, and you've got a cable company, and you've got uh, an internet service provider, and then some other utility on there, you can see where that starts to consume real estate. And in some cases, with new attachments, the old pole may not be strong enough to accept all of those utilities. So now you've got an entire pole replacement, which means that You have to engineer the pole, you've got to set the pole, and every utility has to relocate onto their pole, and in order to get a permit to be on the pole, uh, you have to make application with the power company, and then they have to go and engineer every single solitary pole. And just the engineering of those poles is time-consuming and expensive.
2: Now, which is why one point two billion dollars was allocated to get this to be able to pay the price
3: last year. Delegate level had a bill that would compel the power companies to make an inventory of those polls and make that available to the state so that they didn't have to go out and survey that poll two or three times. Maybe two or three people wanted to see it. You don't have to incur that expense over and over again and the delay and the delay and the delay.
7: Can it, be, can it be done? Oh, it absolutely can. Um, so this is this is not rocket science. In fact, in the in in, in the in the uh, space of broadband, uh, rockets are actually now delivering delivering broadband all over the all over the state, except for the national radio quiet zone. So, um, to, to one degree, I will tell you right now, if you live anywhere in this state other than the national radio quiet zone along the Green Bank Observatory, you do have an option for broadband. Right. That is Starlink. Um, and so the the beauty of what we're doing now, this this remaining one point two billion dollars. Is we're getting additional options to folks um, hopefully at a lower cost Starlink is a little expensive admittedly um, uh, but but can this be done absolutely and and the encouraging piece is that no one has said that 1.2 billion dollars in addition to the nearly 800 million dollars that came out uh, from the rural digital opportunity fund a few years ago the more than 200 million dollars that we as a state have just out of our own discretionary dollars been able to put forward uh, folks I, I said a, a few years ago that it wasn't just a 1 billion dollar broadband strategy it's a 2 billion dollar broadband strategy and it
2: Really is. So, do we have the money? The answer to that is yes. Now we just have to execute. What about the cooperation between the state, the organizers, and all of the different telecommunications? Telecommunication companies that are going to lay this broadband. You know what? Um, the AT&Ts, the Frontiers, uh, the T-Mobiles, all of them. That's uh, right.
7: Yeah. So, so we're, we're working as hard as we possibly can to try to streamline this. To be honest, there's a lot of difficulty in 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 even just having the labor force necessary. And when you say labor force, folks folks think about guys out in bucket trucks. And yes, that's part of it. Um, but but on top of that, as, as Mr. Denny mentioned, uh, there's an engineering uh, uh, time frame there that has to happen. And we've seen in some cases the 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 time for that engineering to, to be accomplished go from 6 months all the way to 18 months and so that's you know we've agreed to fund a project we've got a, we've got you know where we want to go we've we've uh, agreed to deploy those dollars that we have and unfortunately it's 18 months before you before you can get a green light to to get somebody out in a bucket truck and so uh, people need their need need this now right for any number of reasons which you've you've uh, followed over and over again and, and you've detailed um, as has just about everybody in media and, and we have from the floor of the House and Senate um, what, what our challenge is now is to speed that process and to figure out ways uh, creatively um, that allow us to, to, to get it done.
2: Mr. Denny, we talk about labor force. You and I talked a little earlier. Hundreds if not a thousand or more jobs are going to be needed to really get this done right. Do we have that labor force out there? <laughs> Probably not. But,
3: uh, but, you, but you see, uh, uh, manufacturers will compensate Uh, in product design for for skilled or semi-skilled labor. For example, Corning has recently developed a product that uh, you tell Corning where all your splice points are and in the factory, Corning builds the fiber. They they do all of this stuff on the factory floor and then when you unroll the fiber, uh, all the splice points are already there and to connect to it is simply a snap-in connector, which is a very low-skilled You know, thing to do. Uh, I would like to revisit one thing when we're talking about the right of ways. The West Virginia legislature has bent over backwards to make this happen. And uh, the governor, uh, a couple of years ago, made the, the cost for rights of ways to build fiber to be zero. The right of way is zero. And the legislature also passed a dig once policy, which means that. If I go in and dig a utility line, I've got to tell everybody else that's interested to, uh, that I'm going to do this and invite them to come in and be a part of that construction project so we don't tear up the highways and the berms and the right of ways you know, all at once. And I, I, I think we can't
2: give the legislature too much credit for the work that they've done to make that happen for us. All right. Well, a lot of these people that are at the last mile are are not high-income folks you know they're medium and low-income people so there's an affordable connectivity clause here that's going to give a break to those people that that need internet service talk about that.
7: Yeah absolutely so the federal government has come out with something called the affordable connectivity program and that program basically it it, it hits so many households throughout the state it's incredible if you're on any form of of assistance whether that's Medicaid or others um, or Uh, in your household you have a student in K through 12 school that is that is eligible for free reduced lunch and interestingly in 53 of our 55 counties every student is blanket available for that regardless of of the of the family's income Um, there is a subsidy program and most every uh, single uh, provider has put forward one that that after that federal subsidy makes the cost of that internet zero dollars now that's a federal program that was put forward during the pandemic um, and and may in fact uh, lose some of its funding but we've come up with I think a new way to, to, to deal with that. So um, I've got a bill that's uh, that's actually on the floor of the House now um, and will be up for a vote. Um, I think it's on Monday. Um, it's already passed committee. Um, that that ultimately just says, look, uh, for purposes of telehealth and telemedicine, the healthcare industry loses a whole lot of money uh, in uh, in avoidable uh, costs uh, when someone goes to the ER. If they could have prevented that in the first place. And interestingly enough, we're going to allow our healthcare entities uh, to, if they fi- if they feel that it will improve patient outcomes and and save them money at, the, at our health plans with all of our health insurance costs, um, they'll actually be able to subscribe on folks' behalf so that they get that connectivity that they need for telehealth, but you'll also have it for every other reason that you would wish to have it. So uh, we're looking
2: to get creative. That's proactive medicine, isn't it? If you have a, a connector to your arm for diabetes or a heart monitor, the medical facility can monitor those things and keep you healthy and, and, and then connect with you in that way. That's that's also broadband, isn't it? That's, that's
7: exactly right. You cannot uh, have telemedicine without that connectivity. And you're exactly right, Randy. If if someone uh, were a diabetic and they saw the numbers going in the wrong direction, you could could intervene with that person. Uh, Maybe it's a medicine change. Maybe it's a lifestyle change, something like that,
2: all before they show up in the emergency room. The Remote Patient Outcome Improvement Act. Yes, sir. I got it right here. Um, We're talking about connectivity. It's not all just rural. There's some urban areas that have challenges, too, right? Absolutely. In what way? Well,
3: uh, there's a lot of old infrastructure out there. You know, there's... There's a lot of, there's a lot of, of uh, co-actual cable, and all of that degrades over time. Uh, you know, weather gets into the connections, the signals slow down. Uh, there's even still some dial-up out there, which is incredibly slow. So there is a difference between uh, unserved and underserved. You know, there's unquestionably a great deal of unserved, but we probably have even more underserved, people who just don't have good, high-quality connections.
2: And th- I mean, it's unserved that we're working on first. That, that's the, the yeah, bottom yeah. line, and then, then the underserved. Well, that's I, correct. Final comment, ten seconds. Can this all be done in five years? It absolutely can.
7: If we have the will to do it, if, if we, as the whole of government, will work together uh, and make this happen, there is no reason that it can't happen within five years. And I will tell you one thing: uh, I will do everything in my power to make sure that this time, unlike in 2008 and some other times, this time you've got me in this
2: legislature, and I will make sure that we get what we paid for. All right, Delegate Linville. Uh, Charlie Denny, both thanks for being here today to talk all things broadband. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia channel. I'm Randy Yohe. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us.
1: Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University. Offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu forward.
0: Join West Virginia Public Broadcasting for the nightly coverage of the 2024 legislative session. From in-depth reports to floor debates, committee action and newsmaker interviews, the legislature today brings you diverse opinions and analysis. Legislators, stakeholders and advocates all get a seat at the table discussing Mountain State policy and politics. Weeknights at six on West Virginia Public Broadcasting.